Let's raise a hallelujah. That's right. Good evening and welcome to Recovering Hope. My name is Mark Markley. A pleasure to be with you here again this nice, yet somewhat muggy, beginning of summer uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Well, we're here to... To, um, to share stories, some information, resources to help you or someone that you know or love that is experiencing drug addiction and all of the horrid challenges that go along with that. And tonight we have a special guest that, that has a lot of experience in doing that and helping, uh, particularly but not limited to, parents of loved ones that struggle with addiction. His name is Kim Humphrey, and he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Something I came across, you know, with my, my daily devotionals uh, leads me to, to certain things that I like to share. And this is something I read the other day in the book of Isaiah. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And my words are, I'm fairly certain that God would include to give a voice to the addict and hope to their families. And that's what we're doing. We would love feedback from you or for, for more information, for resources to contact us. Um, please go to recoveringhope.org or you can email me at mark at recoveringhope.org. Love to hear from you. And um, besides this radio program that we're bringing information to you, um, my son and I also operate a local recovery residence for men called Prodigal Recovery. And recoveringhope.org is the same website as Prodigal Recovery. Just trying not to confuse you too much, as I may have just done. So the one website you need to remember, prodigalrecovery.org. A quick review of last week. Uh, We want to thank Chase Campbell. Chase is the missions director at Hope Center Ministries. Chase was a BMX pro as a bicycle, for those that don't know, you know, they do all the tricks and stuff, until he got in an accident which resulted in pain pills and an addiction ensued. Happy to say Chase is doing very well and and hoping others to overcome their addictions. Uh, The Hope Center Ministries is a 12-month program, very structured and geared towards independence. Now, that might sound like a cliche, but it's not. It's very important. Independence is the goal. Drug-free independence is the goal for anyone Man, woman, you know, whoever they are in a, in a recovery home, not just to collect rent and, okay, next. And, and there are a lot of houses like that. Uh, but, you know, this, I think, uh, this program has some very good points. I'm not sure exactly how they all work, all the details, but from what I heard, you get my endorsement. Uh, phase one is six weeks, which is a classroom setting, <clears throat> working through things, um, and, and, of course, instruction. Phase two is a 38-week program. That is uh, geared towards vocational training. So they actually go out and they perform jobs in the, in, in the vicinity of the homes that they're in. And I believe they have about 27 uh, residences. And I should get my facts straight, I think. But they are not just all in North Carolina. I think they're all over the country. And they got a couple across the pond, as they say. Phase three is about last two months or so. 
where they continue to work and they keep the money that they earn to start their new phase in life. I forgot to mention the 38 weeks, the money that they earn goes to pay for their recovery. For all their bills are paid, and so there's really nothing out of pocket, but you do have to earn your living. There's nothing wrong with that. If you'd like to know some more, uh, you can reach um, Chase or anybody else at Hope Center Ministries. Their website is hopecm.com. That's hopecm.com. And I wasn't sure that I was going to do this until I sat down here about 10 minutes ago, but last Friday we had a rally. Um, If you tune in regularly, you heard me talk about this for the past month or more. Uh, that was put on by the Association of People Against Lethal Drugs, a.k.a. Appalled. And I had the privilege of being one of the speakers there. And I, I thought that what I wrote, and this might sound a little, um, I don't know, back patting, but I, I think that what I wrote was appropriate and somewhat informative, and it also explains why I do the things that I'm doing. So I'm just going to read part of the speech that I wrote uh, for that event. My name is Mark Markley. I'm a local contractor. Don't let my accent fool you. And I also operate a local recovery residence for men called Prodigal Recovery. I'd like to tell you how we got the name of our home and why we started that business and that there is hope for recovery. Here's part of the parable found in the book of Luke. Luke 15, 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. My son was dead. By the miracle of a drug called Narcan, he was brought back to life after three doses. It should take one. My son was lost and is now found. My son's name is Christopher Markley and now owns and operates a very successful tree company called Climb Pro Expert Tree Care, a business that he started while living at and managing prodigal recovery. Chris's quote after one year clean was, I used to be a hopeless dope fiend. Now I'm a dopeless hope fiend. That's only one of many stories of people who were lost and are now found, who were dead and now live. Let me also tell you about my friend Derek. Derek lives at 330 Division Drive here in Wilmington. Derek never knew his father. His mother didn't want him. He was raised and abused by his grandparents. At the age of 13, he tried going to a homeless shelter, but they said he should be home with his mother. He said his mother didn't want him. They took him home. His mother said she didn't want him. Forced to care became his way of life, and then so did the drugs and associated criminal behavior. He spent about half his life behind bars. One of the many times that he overdosed, they pulled a sheet over his head, and the certificate of death was signed and sealed. When he sat up in the morgue with that sheet over his head, let's just say he surprised a few people. God has a plan for Derek. I got to know Derek because he heard me on the radio and gave me a call. He just wanted somebody to communicate with, to be his friend. Over the past several months, I can call Derek a friend and vice versa. He's now leading a Bible study in the local prison. Yes, that's 330 Division Drive. He'll be released sometime in 2024. 
So let me ask you, what does addiction look like? If you're with somebody now, turn to your left or turn to your right or perhaps look straight ahead. That's what it looks like. Yes, some of the extreme cases, perhaps they're homeless and they look it. Or perhaps, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but perhaps overly tattooed, pierced, crazy hair. They could be signs, but inside of every person there's a human being that so wants and needs to be loved to know someone cares. We all need that. Have you perhaps considered some of the reasons some people have become addicted? 50% of those reasons are genetic. No fault of the individual at all. Another large percentage is the result of trauma in their lives. I spoke to a pastor last week who told me about a man he knows who started drinking and drugging at 12. He's 60 now. At age 8, he was abused by someone in his church. He told his parents, and they made him promise never to tell anyone, so he didn't. He dealt with it by masking the pain. Another, uh, another significant portion of those suffering from this disease of addiction was due to overprescribing of medication. The intentional misrepresentation of companies like Purdue claiming their pain medication is not addictive. This, thankfully, is an ongoing case. No one wants to be an addict. People with an addiction are not bad people trying to be good. They're sick people trying to get better. People with addiction don't intentionally to set out to destroy their lives, their families, or their careers. They simply want relief from the pain. This means that people don't have an addiction problem. They have an unknown problem with an addiction solution. The void is the problem. The addiction is their destructive answer. The emptiness, pain, and dissatisfaction are the problems. Sometimes there are mental health factors at play and have gone unaddressed. The addiction is not the problem. It's their destructive answer. So what kind of help is available for those struggling with addiction and their families? There's quite a bit, actually. But compared to what I hope I can soon say, this past epidemic, not nearly enough. As compared to this past epidemic, not nearly enough. And I used to say these figures a lot a couple of months ago, so these are, these are not up to date. But based on figures from last October, the total estimated cost of the coronavirus in the United States is $16 trillion. Divide that by the U.S. population of 330 million, plus or minus, is approximately $48,444,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States, and that's not including the stimuli after October. How much gets spent on those suffering from addiction in their families? Left alone, COVID-19 will come and go. Addiction won't. Addiction gets worse. We need to change the narrative and the paradigm. Recently, we've talked a lot about fentanyl, just a brief summary of that. Fentanyl is a synthetic drug 100 times more powerful than heroin. Illicit fentanyl is being smuggled into this country via Mexico and China. Fentapills are being made to look like prescription medication, and that is just one way that fentanyl is killing tens of thousands every year. And that was basically what I said at the rally. Um, 
But speaking of fentanyl, now that leads me to another uh, fairly new drug. I think I spoke about this um, some months ago. It's, uh, it's called Desuvia, D-S-U-V-I-A. And this is my in-the-news segment, if you will. In an intelligence bulletin marked for official use only, the FBI warned that this new painkilling drug, Desuvia, would likely exacerbate the nation's opioid crisis. The bulletin also states that because of its potency, Desuvia will likely cause deaths at a rate surpassing that associated with fentanyl, increasing the overall opioid-related death rate in the near term. The FDA approval of Desuvia means there's now another opioid on the market, an extremely powerful one. It's 1,000 times more potent than morphine and 10 times more potent than fentanyl. Now remember, fentanyl is, uh, what did I say before, 100 times more powerful than heroin? This is 10 times more powerful than that. The drug is a sublingual, under the tongue, a version of sufentanyl, which was first made in 1974 and is given intravenously. So, you know, I wonder, of course, you know, if this product is available, it's manufactured, it is intended for, and from what I understand, and, and these are good things, you know, for people in the battlefield. They, they've just been brutally injured, um, so they have something very strong to give them. I'm all for that. But how long will it take, and it probably already has, before it gets into the wrong hands? And something as strong as this would Narcan, the drug I mentioned that um, they shot my son up with and, and many others who, who overdose on opiates, um, would that even be effective with something this strong? Uh, by the way, if you would like to chime in, 299-7535, is that the number? <laughs> I don't give that, yeah. Two nine nine seven five three five. We can we can um, open up the lines. By the way, it's nine one zero. Yeah, two nine nine seven five three five. Either the lights bad or my glasses uh, need to be increased a little bit. Uh, if you'd like to chime in with some answers to that, the other question that I'd like to put out to the audience is a couple of them. One is, does anyone know the effectiveness or the long time, long term effectiveness for people that are put on maintenance drugs? I think the most common one is Suboxone and other Subutex or Suboxone um, derivatives. There's a monthly shot you can get. There's pills. There's uh, the sublingual um, tab uh, strips. Curious, you know, if uh, and, and this is, was brought up a couple of weeks ago by a friend of mine uh, who, who, who is very much opposed to the overuse of these drugs, as am I. But has have studies been done for the people that have been put on them for years? What happened years after that? Are they okay? And, and I, I'm curious if those if there's data available. The other question I'd like to put out there, and again the number nine one zero two nine nine seven five three five, is how does non medical detox work? Uh, there's a place that's about to open up. Well, about perhaps next year, I think it's called the Healthy Place or something like that. Uh, it's going to be about 200-bed non-medical detox. Um, but what does non-medical detox mean? I, I will try to get answers to that, but if you have one, uh, please give us a call, 910-299-7535. Uh, 
Speaking of detox, um, we all probably know by now that um, the harbor has closed down. It's been kind of old news, but it's unfortunate. It was our only local state-funded detox facility, uh, but the hospital needed a parking lot. So, you know, that's more important. But there's a place uh, in, in Washington. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be Little Washington, but it's, it's Washington in North Carolina um, called Port Health. And actually, I've spoken to a couple of men there. Actually, one of them is, is living at our recovery residence now. Um, but they have, uh, they take both insured and uninsured uh, individuals for detox. And I think the woman told me the other day that it, it might be a one-time fee of $37. Look, if somebody needs detox, they don't have $37, call me. I'll pay it for you. Uh, it's, it's um, I don't know, probably a couple hours north of us, but it's, Maybe the, the next best thing. I did not ask how many beds they have. Again, if somebody knows more about that information, you want to share it, uh, please do. 910-299-7535. Next week, I was expecting to have a very special guest. It's been planned for um, several months now. A, a, a gentleman, an author, a speaker, um, three-time CEO, a TED Talker guy, uh, his name is Michael Brody Waite. He wrote, a, he wrote a book, among other things, that I'm reading, which is called Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. That's probably not something you would have put together, but he has a lot of very um, interesting parallels between drug addiction and, and, and top leaders uh, in, in whatever field that you're in. I'm just going to read a quick paragraph here. Um, This is an excerpt from his website. As you read this, there are millions of addicts out there practicing the three principles to save their lives. I'm one of them. My wish is for everyone to experience the amazing recovery process that comes when you practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome, and do uncomfortable work. And you don't have to be an addict. My mission is to teach you how to unlock the incredible competitive advantage of being your true self without fear, shame, or regret so that you can thrive in your career, business, and relationship. Again, those three principles changed everything, according to him, and I've, I believe it's true. Practice rigorous authenticity. Be yourself. Be who you are. No matter what that is, there's good in every one of us. Be yourself. Surrender the outcome. Uh, and I think by that, he's saying, you know, stop with the what ifs. What if it doesn't work? What if people don't like me? What if this? What if that? Just surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work. Yes, to do anything in life, to, be, uh, to, to enjoy any amount of quote-unquote success, you got to work at it. you got to work at it. Whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. And you might see just a natural progression that 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 will lead to other things. And this was interesting when I started reading about uh, Michael Brody Waite. Uh, he says these three principles not only helped me get clean, but enabled me to live mask-free and thrive in work and life. And when I read this, you know, this day and age, when he said he's living mask-free, I'm like, okay. He's one of those 
non-maskers that's out there and telling everybody else, don't wear a mask. Well, I'm a, I'm a non-masker, too, as far as COVID goes. But I do, in, in certain situations, I would respect, you know, the rules of the establishment that I was in or the person that I'm talking to. I'm not totally um, against that. But, but, yeah, the mask he's talking about is, is that mask that, that we all wear. And I think, I mean, I, speaking for myself, kind of depending who you're talking to, where you are, there are certain masks um, that, that people do wear, certain behaviors that, that you do with maybe some people and not others, right? So, you know, he has uh, um, some sort of a, a, a meetings that they have set up. Um, you can subscribe to these. It, it, it's too much. I'll, I'll do more harm than good trying to explain uh, just what this is. But um, this man, when I started reading his book, and if you go to, what's his website? Um, okay, it's Michael Brody, B-R-O-D-Y, Wait, W-A-I-T-E, MichaelBrodyWait.com. Um, you'll, you'll have an opportunity to buy the book, which again is called Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts, but you can also listen to the first chapter for free. I barely got done listening to the first, you know, five minutes. And I asked my wife to please find a way to order that book. Now I am absolutely going to be giving one copy of this book to every person that comes through our recovery residence. I think this gives people, and again, this isn't just for people that have struggled with addiction. For anybody that maybe is, is just not feeling, um, well, that's not for me. I'm not good enough. I'll tell you what, we all have special talents that nobody else has. Find out what they are. Um, nurture them. Grow them. You know, read the books in your field and, and do other things. And, and I'll tell you, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I don't know when this uh, interview is going to be uh, rescheduled to, uh, and, and, but uh, this is going to be a, a really good one, I think, and, and, and hopefully that um, you, can, you can tune into that. All right, so we spoke about the Desuvia, Michael Brody Waite, and I think it's probably a good time for a break. Um, and, you know, if you see TK on the street or something, tell him happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, bud. Yeah, let's, let's hit a break. We'll be right back, folks, and then we'll be speaking with uh, Kim Humphrey, and he is the executive director of Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. Very interesting conversation coming up. And welcome back to Recovering Hope. My name is Mark Markley. Our website, recoveringhope.org. If you would like to contact us, um, listen to previous podcasts of this program or some of the resources that we have, well, not that's that we have, that are available um, locally, regionally, and nationally uh, for those uh, suffering from addiction and or their loved ones. And, uh, Kim, we have you on the line. Yes, you do. Thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time uh, all the way from Arizona. How are things there? Well, it's uh, it's great today. It's a beautiful day. It's a little bit warm. It's in the 90s, but hey, that's that's kind of cool for us. Yeah, but I hear that's a dry heat. 
yeah, kind of like a blast furnace. It's a dry. Heat. Yeah, as opposed to this wet heat here on the on the other coast. Okay, and before I get started with you, I would just like to read a, a, a couple of short paragraphs from your website, and I think this will be a good introduction. Sure, that's okay. great. To have a child lost to alcohol or drug addiction is to suffer a thousand deaths. The more you try to save them from their addiction, the more it burns a hole in your heart. Watching their light fall away into darkness, you enter your own world of pain. But while you may feel stranded by fear and confusion, you are not alone. There are people out there walking the same path. They are the ones, the only ones, who really understand because they are like you. Like Joyce. Joyce has a son named Eric, an educated son with an angelic face and bright future. Yet by the time he reached his late 20s, Eric was sleeping under an oleander bush behind a grocery store. He was homeless, living on the streets, in and out of jail, in and out of treatment centers, addicted to opiates. And here's a quote from Joyce. The hardest thing was watching him make the same wrong decisions over and over again and realize I couldn't stop him. Joyce says, there was absolutely nothing I could do. Doing nothing can be difficult for any parent. But for Joyce, a nurse accustomed to helping people heal, it was brutal. I was the kind of mother who looked up all the treatment places, did everything I could to get him help, she says, until he finally told her to leave him alone and shut her out completely. Kim, I don't know the rest of Joyce's story, but I, I lived through some of that, and I know that you did too. Do you know the rest of Joyce's story? Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually knew Joyce and, uh-huh. um, and, and met her. And, uh, yeah, she was one of the first uh, individuals that ever went to a PAL uh, meeting, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones mm-hmm. meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, just a, a wonderful... Uh, individual, she she embraced the the concepts of trying to learn to be a, uh, better at how she helped her son and mm-hmm. learning healthy ways to try and deal with it. And eventually, yeah. uh, her son did get um, uh, sober. He did get into recovery. Uh, unfortunately, um, Joyce actually ended up with a uh, an illness and and she passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but, Mm. But uh, but she was able to see her son get better, and, good, and that good. was a wonderful thing. That's good. So it was kind of a weird beginning to this, but if you don't mind, maybe kind of start again. Give us a little background, if you would, please, uh, you know, both professionally, personally, and, and, and what got you into PAL. Yeah, so uh, my wife and I have uh, two sons. Uh, one is now... Uh, 34 years old. The other one is 29 years old. And Mm -hmm. we've been dealing with this issue for over, well, about 20 years with our older son and then also with our younger son. So Mm -hmm. uh, needless to say, uh, when this all started many years ago when they were young uh, teenagers, Mm -hmm. uh, we really thought that, you know, they were doing well and we we would have never in a million years thought that this would happen. I was in law Mm -hmm. enforcement Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I would be the type of person that should be able to recognize the problem. Uh, you know, right. it just, they, they grew up in a wonderful, I believe we had a wonderful environment, a home, you mm-hmm. know, there was really no trauma. There's no drama. It was, it was really a, uh, you know, a great place to grow up and, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you that if you yeah. ask them, but right. 
but you know, it just takes one bad choice. And, That's right. and, uh, our older son, you know, somebody offered him a, a Percocet one day and mm-hmm. he tried it. And the next thing you know, he said, I, I don't know how not to have it. I, I just have to have this. And, wow. and that began that journey of, of him, you know, seeking these drugs and us, you know, eventually discovering this and then having to, you know, go down the road of, you know, what in the world are we supposed to do? And, right. and honestly, as a parent, you know, and, you know, as well as anybody, I mean, when this starts to happen, I mean, you, you, you're a fix it person. You're going to, you're going to yeah. do whatever it takes to solve that problem. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately you start to find out that, that you may not be able to solve that problem. Yeah. As a matter of fact, chances are pretty good. You can't. That's right. And uh, yeah, that feeling of helplessness yeah. is very difficult. Yeah. Perhaps more so for a man as, as I have heard and personally experienced. Yeah. And you just, you don't know what to do. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you, you think you can just try this or you're going to take them to a doctor. You're going to take them to a therapist. You're right. going to get them into treatment or you're going to do mm-hmm. whatever. And it's just mm-hmm. all going to get better because it doesn't make any sense. And yeah. then, it just keeps happening and gets worse. And, you know, these kids that were, were wonderful kids and did everything right are now doing everything wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they're getting trouble with the law. They're, you know, they're, they're, well, in our case, you know, and it sounds like in your case as well, you Mm -hmm. know, we're getting into uh, situations where they're overdosing and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and a lot of people don't survive that. And so your fears of them being lost to this start to grow you know, yeah. daily and yep. you don't know what to do. You just, no, I know you feel like it, and you go to tell somebody and then that, that really can cause you grief. You, you yes. talk to a friend that doesn't dealt, deal with this and, yeah. and they're just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That would never happen to me. You That's know, my right. kids are been taught right from wrong. And I'm like, well, I, I believe we did that. Right. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. And I, I, I felt exactly the same way. And, and if I had heard that it was going on in another family, I would be judgmental about it I, because uh, yeah. just ignorance, you know, lack of experience. And, and that's one of the main reasons that I'm behind this microphone right now is because it can happen to you. I mean, you know, my wife and I have three boys and, you know, we all went to church together. We all had dinner together every night. You know, there, there was rules. It wasn't just, you know, come and go as you please and, you know, call me if you decide to stay out tonight. You know, it was, it was, it wasn't strict, but, you know, it was a, we had a good family sure. and, and it can happen yeah. to the best of us. Yeah. I mean, I would have, I would have, you know, bet you that that, that would not happen in our family. I, I felt like we followed the, the recipe if there is such a thing for, yeah. for parenting. And of course, when it did happen, then, then you really feel like you're basically the worst parent on the planet yeah. because you start beating yourself up and you start thinking, well, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and the focus starts to turn into that. And then, and then when you start to realize that this helpless feeling of, I can't fix it, yeah. well, then you really don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. You don't yeah. know who to talk to because people are judging you and your family might even be judging you. And, That's right. and, uh, if you start thinking, well, maybe I ought to set a boundary. Well, then some people are like, well, why are you doing that? You know, this is your son. You have to help them. And, Mm-hmm. And it's like, but every time I help them, they turn my resources into drugs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the difference between helping and enabling, which I'm sure you've come to learn, right. you know, the hard way as we did. Um, you know, helping yeah. them is doing something for them that they can't do. Enabling is doing something for them that they can do. And it's, you know, hindsight is crystal clear. Uh, you know, if I had only known then, as a matter of fact, I was listening to an old Bob Dylan song that somebody put on my Facebook page. 
you know, I was so much older than I'm younger than that now. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, I think we all think that we knew it all then. And, um, and we certainly don't know it all now, but I know a lot more. And, and, and again, Kim, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing to try to make, you know, to share these stories of hope and recovery and the resources. And I've spoken to many people that have been in and out of treatment facilities, um, you know, major rehabs dozens of times. And some yeah. of them are, are quite, you know, popular, um, you know, notable. You'd recognize the names, but, but their celebrity doesn't matter. What matters is that they, they're sharing a story. I don't care. The average person on the street, people that I have seen come, you know, that either are still at or have um, come out of. Uh, I also run a recovery residence here in, in Wilmington, and, and they're, they, they're in business for themselves. My son, Chris, um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, he, was, he had no special business skills at all. He just had a, a hunger, a burning desire and he now runs a successful tree business of his own. He's got about a half a dozen employees, probably a half a million dollars worth of equipment, and he's done it all on his own. And, and, right. and you know, years ago, I would not have been surprised to see him on a street corner um, conning people out of money. But he's, yeah. he's not yeah. doing that at all. But yeah. um, there, there is hope, and there is a way out. And, and I think the unfortunate thing is is that you know, so many people don't understand this disease. They don't understand how this these drugs get a hold of people, and mm. they just think it's like, well, it's just a it's just a bad decision, and it's a character flaw. Right. And it's like it's not a character flaw. Right. My son's no right from wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it, it, it's hard when when these these uh, things take over your brain and exactly and, and all of that exactly. And it you takes know, work. And, it, it might not be a real good analogy, but I think it it will suffice um, to say that there are other diseases like heart disease, cancer, diabetes um, that are a result of bad choices that people have made. And, you know, I'm going to start working out tomorrow. I'm not going to eat that, that half gallon of ice cream. I'm, you know, just other, other fat, all the fried foods, you know, that, that are, we, we know these things are not going to, smoking, okay? Um, there are lots of things that people do that cause serious and terminal diseases, but those people aren't shunned. They're not criticized for being sick. And I think a lot of this is when people learn that addiction is a disease. It doesn't start out that way, but either do some of the other diseases that I just mentioned. You know, that second helping of French fries or, you know, just having, you know, Dr. Pepper is, is your, your beverage of choice for, you know, for every waking moment and, and, uh, I don't know. It's uh, the stigma is, is another big thing, but let's get into uh, a little bit more about uh, Pal Kim. Um, tell us about that. And I think I had I, I don't know if you were copied on this email, but um, I was part of a similar group in our church here a couple of years ago. Um, they have a, a, a fairly large recovery ministry at the church, and, and this was the same evenings for for parents of addicted loved ones, and that's exactly what Pal stands for. Um, we weren't using. I think we. There was something, um, the, the person who heads this up, uh, I think we started using your curriculum, but the people that were doing that moved on to another church or something. Um, but it was good. It, it was good to hear from other parents. And I know that, that at that time, you know, I, I was one of them that could share the stories of recovery. A lot of people in, the, in that room, about 10 at an average, 
you know, still had people in active addiction, the children in active addiction. And um, so go ahead and uh, please tell us a little bit more about it now. Yeah, so back in 2006, a substance abuse counselor at a treatment center here in Arizona uh, realized this issue of, of of dealing with parents and the unique relationships that parents have uh, when they have a son or daughter that's addicted, and it's different than spouses. It's different <laughs> than other relationships because parents, you know, have this innate need and desire, and they, they he noticed that they just they tended to take that need and desire to fix and and help and take it to extremes to where he was seeing that it was making it worse basically. And, and uh, he decided that something needed to be done. Well, the thing that sets uh, parents of addicted loved ones apart is that our meetings are, are certainly a support group and an opportunity for parents to share with each other their experiences, but it's also an educational uh, meeting. We have two parts uh, to our meeting, an educational piece, which is a curriculum that we go through Mm -hmm. and and we share, you know, information about addiction and recovery. So we learn, and then we have an opportunity to talk to other people that have been down this road. Mm-hmm. And when he started this um, at this treatment center, eventually over the years, uh, it started to kind of get too big, and he 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 got a couple of parents involved, and we, he spawned off a couple of meetings in the Arizona area. Actually, uh-huh. that's how my wife and I ended up getting involved Mm -hmm. and we started one of those groups on the other side of town to try and kind of alleviate this large meeting. Mm -hmm. And in 2015, uh, the, the founder of PAL, Mike Speakman, uh, decided that, you know, it was, he was getting, he had about a dozen meetings or so in the Phoenix area and he had Mm -hmm. had an interest actually in Indiana and uh-huh. he didn't even know how this was happening. It was just starting to, hmm. you know, organically yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came to me. Uh, we had gotten to be friends. And he said, you know, I know you're about to retire. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on here with with this issue. And, you know, I don't know what to do with it. Uh, frankly, it's, it's getting big. And I'm actually in the process of writing a book. And, hmm. you know, would you help? And uh, so we put together a group of parents. We ended up talking about what we would do. Mm. Uh, we formed PAL as a nonprofit in early 2015. And uh, essentially with no budget, with no, you know, mm. real, you know, vision or direction of what uh-huh, we were going to uh-huh. do with it. We were, we were a dozen parents that had been down this road and, and we had benefited from PAL so tremendously that we wanted to give back. Yeah, nice. And, uh, Essentially, we went from those handful of meetings in Phoenix um, to today where we have meetings in about 40, 41 states. Wow. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just grown exponentially. Um, we've had inquiries from numerous places around the world. Wow. Um, meetings uh, from Greece to Israel to Canada oh to, you know. Uh, yes, yeah, sadly, this uh, is Romania. an international. <laughs> it's an international problem, and, and quite frankly, it's an international solution. Um, you know, yeah. all of the different therapies and, and, and you know, resources, uh, it, it knows no boundaries. The, the language would be different, but, but that's about it. You know, the drugs are the same. The right. heartbreak is the same. And, and the struggles as well as the victories, yeah. you know. Um, and being around people that have been down this road, you, you have a, it's a different perspective and right. they understand you and you, you feel like you can share. And that's one of the biggest issues in our meetings is, yeah. 
you know, we allow people to say, hey, do you have any suggestions? I, you know, mm-hmm. hey, he, he's, he's in a program and he wants to come home afterwards. What do you think? You know, mm-hmm. and you can ask mm-hmm. the group and, and yeah. they can say, well, here's what happened when I did that. Yeah, that's and, a you know, tough here's one. Here's what happened when yeah. I did that. Yeah. And those are tough decisions to make. Yeah, they are. But, but at least you're around people that understand you and, and are there mm-hmm. for you and yeah. walk with you. And mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Yeah. I remember the first oh. time there was another couple that, at our church, and, and they were having, I don't think it was addiction issues. It was, it was behavioral, and that's really what it is, um, although addiction kind of takes it to another level. But the first time that, that we spoke with somebody, and, and you, know, you, you cling to them almost like a magnet, and, and like you were just saying, so what did you do, or what do you recommend? And, and uh, it's, it's important to share the stories of recovery. And again, that's why I'm here. That's why this is called recovering hope because a lot of people have lost hope and let me say folks please don't don't ever lose that hope as long as there's breath in their lungs uh there's there's definitely hope um and and speaking of 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 hope uh just reminding people we're speaking with uh kim humphrey um are you the executive director of pal kim is that your uh your title there Okay. Yes, I okay. Yes, I, I went from we were an all volunteer organization until we started growing so fast, and the the board asked me to to step in as the the CEO executive director to mm-hmm. start it up as as uh, you know to help it grow basically yeah. around the country, and and so I did uh, a couple of years ago, and you know we just continue to experience um, this growth, and it's an unfortunate thing, but but honestly. We, we are inspired by the fact that we just we receive so much feedback from people that they, if I have heard once, I've heard it a hundred times, mm-hmm. and they use these exact words: "It saved my life." Wow! I mean, that may sound like that's way out there, but you know, mm-hmm. when you are at the point of total hopelessness, yeah, and somebody puts their arm around you and says, "You know what? There are some things mm-hmm. that might make a difference here, mm-hmm. and maybe what you've been doing." might not be the best thing. Right. So maybe if you think about it from this perspective and and you start to realize that things like, you know, I need to treat if my, my son or daughter is an adult, like they're over eighteen, mm-hmm. I need to treat them like an adult. That's I need right. to start to learn what's the like you said, what's the difference between enabling and then healthy helping and mm-hmm. and realizing that the family has a tremendous influence over yes. their loved one. Yes, they do. But but you don't want it to be for the wrong reasons, because right. if they can divide and conquer and go to somebody and say, well, could, would you give me $50 because so-and-so wouldn't give me $50? Well, if yeah. everybody understands when you give them $50 mm. what that means, right? then you start to realize, okay, that's probably not the best plan. Mm-hmm. You know? And, yeah. and there's other ways that you can say, you know what, I'm about recovery. I'm about sobriety and, and there's some things I can do. And I, you know, and that's the type of thing where we learned and I didn't know that it's a different language. It was a different, mm. it was so, and it was so opposite of my parents' skills. Right. My parents' right. skills were think about my, my son or daughter when they're like 10 and if they're sick, well, I jump in, I call the doctor, I do everything for them. I fix yeah. everything for them. Right. You know, all that, but I'm, I'm dealing with a 24 year old and I'm doing yeah. the same thing. Right. Right. No, it's yeah. counterintuitive. I guess you would call that, but, yeah. um, but yeah, it's, and, and resources. I, um, your website is pal group, P A L G R O U P.org. Correct. Right. 
And I would imagine you yep. have resources there. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of resources on there. Everything Good. from from information about you know our meetings and and where they are, and of mm. course we're always looking for uh, parents to start a meeting in their own community. So yeah. if there's anybody out there that's interested, if they go to our website and you go to info at palgroup.org, info at palgroup.org, uh-huh. you can email us and, and we'll let you know how to start it. There's no charge. There's no cost for anything. Mm-hmm. We, we train you, we get you prepared and it's peer to peer. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we don't expect somebody to be, you know, at some point in their, their journey. I mean, if when yeah. my wife and I started a meeting, both of our sons were active in their addiction. Wow. But, mm. but it brought us the ability to, to, to be around people, to, to walk with us. And even mm. though we were the facilitators, mm-hmm. we we're participating just like everyone else. Yeah. And, and it saved us. I mean, it, mm. it we were losing our minds oh, you yeah. know, trying to figure this out. Yeah, no, it's, I don't think we're intended to do things um, independently, right? You know, that's, right. Not, that's not the way God made us. And, um, you know, share your experiences and, and um, you know, put, uh, lift someone else up. Uh, I, I saw in one of the emails that we've had the past week or so, I forget the woman's name that I was speaking with or, or writing back and forth with. I'm not sure if it was Diane or I think it began with a D. But she said that you were, um, I think you used to have a meeting here in Wilmington at a church called Life Point. And I think she said you or someone from the organization has a meeting coming up there. Do you know anything about that? I believe that we had a meeting there, and then we, I think we lost our, our facilitator there, and we're just, okay. we're, we've been looking for somebody to take it over. Okay. Yeah. All and right. uh, we actually got quite a few meetings in in North Carolina, but of mm. course, obviously that's a state. So right. That's different yeah. than a, yeah, yeah. You know, a single community. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll see, yeah, you know, what I can do and, and, and we'll repeat that. So folks, if, if you or someone, you know, would like to maybe start a, a pal group, uh, you can email info at palgroup.org and, 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 or just go to the website, which is palgroup.org and, and, and look around and see what's going on. Or, or if you want to know if there's a meeting, you know, someplace else in, in the country, uh, for others that that you might know, now with your with your experience in, in law enforcement and 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 all of your I don't know how many years you've been doing this, but what's some good counsel that that you might like to share? You know, from your experience uh, as well as your background, Kim. Well, you know, for me, uh, I I really felt like I couldn't talk about this. Right. And and uh, the stigma associated with it. I mean, I I just was like I was crawling into a shell and and getting to the point where I was getting literally sick over over this. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have seen so many people get physically ill and and we've actually had individuals that were attending our meeting where where we've lost one of the parents. Mm. to like a like a heart attack mm-hmm. and and those types of things and they and it was stress related yes. you know it, yes. stress is a killer mm-hmm. and we and, and one of the things i realized was that if i could if i could let go of this concern i have that people are going to judge me and people are going to look at me like that you know whatever they right. want right. to perceive that i did or didn't do or mm-hmm. my wife did or didn't do mm-hmm. 
And and once we were able to get past that and start to realize there's no shame in this. There's right. this is something that affects families everywhere. Yes, it does. And 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 we were able to kind of climb out of that and to to focus on, you know, we can help. We can not only help ourselves, but we can work with others, and we can share this. And mm-hmm. I think if you are sitting out there and you've got somebody in your family and you've got this going on, you know, you may feel like I can't go somewhere. I can't go to a meeting. I couldn't let anybody know that. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're not alone because that's pretty much everybody that walks into the meeting is feeling that. Right. And right. if you're already past that, well, then you're you're ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. But. But getting to that point where you can, you know, acknowledge that, you know what, th- this is not your fault. And That's you didn't right. cause it. That's you right. Know? And, and you get to the point where you can reach out, find the help you need. And then here's the thing. It does work. We mm. see people get better all the time. And mm. one of our thing, statements at PAL is, is regardless of the choices of your loved one, you can find joy in your life. That's right. And you can get that back. That's right. And of course I want my loved one to get better. Of course I wanted my sons to get better. But put the mask on your face first. Yeah. And if you can't take care of yourself and you can't get better, how in the world are you going to help someone else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, a, it's a family disease and to many, you know, degrees it's, it's, it's a family, um, Solution is a word I think I'm looking for. You know, to do it together. There, are, there are some uh, people that I've interviewed that that are in the recovery business. Uh, one in particular here in Wilmington. That if the family is not going to be, you know, behind their son, this is a, an all male place. They won't even deal with them. And look, I've spoken to a lot of parents. We've had our recovery residence open for coming up on four years, and I've had people. You know, they make that initial phone call and they say, "That's it." You know, they they won't help you know, fund anything. And, and, and to a degree, I can understand that, you know, like it gets to a point where enough is enough, but, and I don't know what their, the, the, the impression I got, like they won't even talk to them. They're, they're, they're done. They're, they're, they're out. That's not going to help that person. I think that those parents need to get an education as to, as to really what they're going through. We used to think in my case, it was uh, one of my sons who was, you know, out, you know, a lot, and my wife and I are sitting home thinking, oh, he's just having a grand old time. You know, he's all high and happy and all that stuff. Well, they're not all high and happy. Yeah, they might be high, but it's not, it's not a life of pleasure. That, that feeling, that good feeling might last for a, for a little while, but then it's, they have to take it again or they're going to be physically sick, very sick. So um, right. educating parents, and I'm sure that's part of what Pal does also in in, in, in parts of your meetings and, and with your resources. Um, that's, uh, that's quite amazing. And how long ago did you start, you know, picking up traction with this, Kim? This was only uh, a few years ago. Is it's, only it? six years, it's only six years old. Okay. And uh, as a nonprofit and, mm-hmm. and um, if it weren't, honestly, if the, the pandemic had not, you know, hit when it did, yeah, which caused us to have the issue of not being able to meet in person and go into virtual meetings and all of that type of thing. Mm. We were, we were growing so fast mm. uh, a year, about a year and a half ago that we would have been in not only in every state, but I'm positive we would have been in, you know, other countries as well. And mm. of course, pretty much like 
everything. It just ground everything yeah, to a halt. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and increased drug problems. Didn't. Yeah, and it helped right. to increase addiction and alcoholism and and, yep. and you know. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. So while we're being suppressed by the situation, the drug and alcohol problem is blowing up underneath it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, getting a lot worse. Now, you're fairly close to the southern border. Uh, have you seen increases in especially fentanyl and other drugs coming across? Oh, they've, they've had numerous uh, issues with that uh, here. And also, you know, a lot of that comes from Asia as well. That's right. So... There's a significant influx of, of drugs like fentanyl and yes. variations of it. So mm. there's a lot of now synthetic variations of it that are right. extremely dangerous. That's right. And, um, and it's put, they're putting you know, it in pills. Are you seeing a lot of the fenta right. pills also there? Oh, yeah. And, then, and, of course, even things like meth are coming back. And, and, frankly, one of the biggest problems we're having now is this extraordinarily high concentration of marijuana mm-hmm. with the THC that's that's out there. Yeah. You know, the marijuana then from the sixties was about 6% THC right. and, and they've now started to extract it out into the high 90%. Oh my God. And that's, that has similar effects. We've had people that have, that are experiencing similar effects to what meth does to people. Really? So you're seeing people that are having these mm. extraordinary responses and uh, to the point of, you know, they're losing weight and hallucinating and all these mm. other things. And you're thinking it's a, it's meth and it's turning out. It's this, it's, it's a super high concentrated THC. Wow. And they don't even have any idea how bad that's, that's going to, you know, affect someone's health. They know it, that of mm. course it's, it's going to be extraordinary, Yeah. but they've never had this before. Wow. And now it's there and, and, and it's all over. And so people are experiencing these symptoms that, that mimic, you know, other drugs, mm-hmm. and it's not good. Wow. It's not good. Unfortunate. Well, look, let me repeat some contact information here. We're speaking with Kim Murphy with PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones, website, palgroup.org. If you'd like to email them for information, it's info at PAL Group. And uh, they're headquartered in Arizona, but in, um, what did you say, 40, 41 states now? Yes, that's mm-hmm. correct. And uh, I believe I read about 160 different groups and, and growing, so that's that's really good. And hopefully, you know, we'll see a an, a, a permanent end to this COVID epidemic because I say that drug addiction is the real pandemic. Um, not that I'm looking for any kudos on that, but uh, yeah, this this epidemic is passing us, and that uh, we'll continue to see some some healthy choices and some good recovery options uh, for those struggling with addiction. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time this evening. I look forward to staying in touch with you and see if I can possibly, you know, help uh, get a church involved. I'll, I'll talk to the church that I go to, and, and we go to LifePoint sometimes, and I have friends that go there. So, you know, wherever it is, um, we'd be more than happy to announce it here on a regular basis. And anything else we can do, just let me know. That would be outstanding. I really appreciate it, and appreciate yeah. all you're doing for this issue. It's it's. Uh... It's certainly um, it's certainly going to make a difference if we all kind of keep focused on on what we're trying to do, and that's that's right. You know, really get our get our families back and, yeah. and get our get our loved ones back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's part of my prayers every morning is for recovery, and number two is always restoration of families, um, starting with mine. It's very important. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. 
All right. You take care. Folks, if you would like to uh, comment, uh, email, ask questions, I actually have an opening next week. Uh, If you'd like to be a guest on this program, uh, website is recoveringhope.org. And, uh, you know, again, would love to know if there's a certain topic, uh, if you or someone you know also has a story of hope that you'd like to share, let me know. We can do it live. We can pre-record it. And um, there, there's other ways to, to get your message out there. So once again, uh, for more information, you can go to recoveringhope.org. My number is 910-231-6020. Call, text, smoke signals, whatever you want to do. If I can help you, that's what I'd love to do. Thank you. Have a great night, and God bless you and your family.